Whoa! What? Oh snap! It's we're doing another one. What's up, Andrew? How how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Um, chilling. Nursing that Super Bowl hangover? Yeah. Two days later? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I definitely had way too many uh, Chromatica Oreos. Oh really? Delay in bed. I don't even know what that is. What's a Chromatica Oreo? It's well, Lady Gaga has like this weird limited edition line of Oreos that are in like a really shiny pink package and they're pink cookies with green cream but they're just golden oreos oh that's pretty cool i guess when you get that big you can put that face on anything and get a couple extra sales for a product yeah yeah i mean you know they were all right yeah although at the time of people hearing this it's not two days after the super bowl but sometimes you got to plan ahead when you have big things on the horizon so and and if you listen to our uh episode before this the super bowl episode you'll uh, you'll hear that i was i was very wrong on what i thought was going to happen i think most i think we were all pretty wrong yeah that that you know <laughs> hey man they played it the bucks came out and came out swinging let's just say that with that being said guys welcome back to yet another episode of talking with andrew and chris that's andrew i'm, I'm andrew that's me. camera directions that's andrew i'm that's, chris that's chris We are, uh, for the next few months, guys, we're starting kind of, it came together as things normally do unexpectedly, at least in our lives, and now we have a string of interviews from people all across the world, a lot of them being in sort of like a retro genre, but of course, Andrew, some reggae bands are coming, you knew it, just gonna break the news right now to everyone. Wow, uh, I'm so surprised. And we're also going to be speaking to our first professional YouTuber, who's also a hometown hero, local legend, towards the back half of this, as well as a composer from Supergiant Games, Darren Korb, who make who makes the music for games such as Bastion, Transistor, and Hades, which was a highly touted game, won a bunch of VGA awards last year. So we have like a lot coming down the pipeline. And to kick mm-hmm. things off, we're going to be speaking to an artist that I really love. I found them just by Spotify kind of being an awesome social app for music in regards to the fact of like the related artists and you can just scroll and scroll and scroll. And this guy's in a pretty saturated genre, but I think he stands out because A, he caught my attention. His artwork's slightly different. His sound is, I think, slightly different. He he borrows from cinematic elements and I can't wait to ask him about all this stuff. So let's just bring him in here. He's a very talented musician and someone who we just met a few minutes ago, but he already seems like a great person. Cannot wait for you guys to meet John from Surge. John, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. What's up? Thanks for hanging with us tonight, man. Good to be with you. Yeah, same, same. So, first of all, how have you been? Are you staying safe? Are you staying healthy? Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Okay, that's cool. And so, why don't you sort of take us initially out of the gates, right back to the start, build us up, where you're from, first of all, we've never had someone from your country on the show. T- tell us about like what it was like sort of finding music for you, what kind of got you into this genre that you're in, and really leave no stone unturned. Like We want you to be as thorough as possible. Everyone's usually like, oh, I felt like I talked too much. No, that's, mm-hmm. that's what we want, you know, because we don't know your story. We can't tell it. The Only show is called Talking for a Reason. So if you yeah. got to go back to like three years old when you saw your first guitar or something like that, bring us there, man. T- tell us through the history that brought us to Search. Yeah, so it wasn't quite a three, I think, but I, I think I started playing the bass when I was, well, maybe eight or nine, I think. Uh, and my dad was, uh, he was playing in a, in a rock band. They played 50s and 60s rock music. 
So um, my, my, my first band, we actually played like 60s soul music. Um, and we were just like 12, 13 years old back then. So that was a bit odd, I suppose. But uh, we kept playing. And then when we entered the early 90s, I think we, we turned to grunge, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, House and Chains, all those bands. Um, we, we sort of copied them quite blatantly. It wasn't that good, actually. So, uh, And then, in well, some time later, when I, well, in my 20s, perhaps, early 20s, um, I started playing 70s funk and soul. We sort of went back to, to soul and funk. And, that, you know, that's fun as a bass player. We just slap the bass. And that's, that's good. Um, and uh, from that, I th well, then, then I had actually a big break from music, I think, several years when I was studying at the university. And then uh, I sort of came back to music with, well, electronic music and, and this retro thing. So. And I also did a lot of tracking back in the days on the Amiga and, you know, music tracking the old school way when we actually are you familiar with tracking and mod tracking i mean i i, I know about like the neve consoles and and you know cutting the tape mm. and all that stuff but we've never done it i, I don't know how old no. you are andrew and i are both about 26 so it, yeah. it's been digital roommate, for us since day one <laughs> my roommate is a producer and he he used to do a lot of that with the tape machine and everything but yeah it just got mm. to be a lot for him so he just mm. sold it all <laughs> yeah well, it's actually, well, well I, that's where I am right now with electronic music. So um, I, I've been through many different genres. But I, And the funny th thing is that I actually hated 80s music in my early 20s. I really couldn't stand it. I was a, One of my friends was really into it. And I was like, how can you listen to this? It's so bland. I mean, and all the reverb and all that. It sounds so passe. But then I really got back to it. And I realized that I've always liked it. So uh, that's where I am now. Yeah, and and also where you are right now is is in Sweden. I, I mean, how how has that sort of informed your musical journey? Because I'm sure there are artists that are huge in your country that we just don't know about that you you must love and you must be like, well, this is a huge part of my sound that like us being Americans would never understand or even be able to reference. Is there anyone sort of from that part of like growing up musically that inspired you that might not have been like some of the names like you said? We spoke about Alice Cooper early on before mm. we went live and and you just referenced a bunch of like, you know, the 80s stuff. I'm sure Def Leppard and, you know, all those types of guys fall right. into play. But is there anyone like kind of, you know, in your home home country that would be someone you want us to know about? Well, not really. I think I actually drew most of my inspiration from from, you know, mainly American artists. Um, but I think that there are a few actually I, I, I wouldn't really name drop them now because you wouldn't know. But uh, in the 80s, there, there was a, a Swedish like, radio show called Svensk Toppen, where you could actually, uh, well, um, in the 80s, it was a really big thing. And, and all the major artists uh, were lined up there in that radio show, uh, the sort of ongoing for, for several years. Uh, and I could name a few, but I suppose only Swedish viewers would sort of know who they were. So uh, I, most of my inspiration comes from like American artists, uh, I think, primarily. Okay. That's cool. Looking behind you, I see a lot of things that I also recognize, like a Game Boy. Yeah. See, you're you're That's true, yeah. If I'm you're listening, you can't see it, but his his uh, I guess that's your office or your studio. It's it's lined with a lot of really fun old things. Yeah, it's actually I I, I told Chris here that this is my garage. So I, it used to be like we used to have cars in here, but then I. 
Well, I, I threw out the cars and the tools, and I just filled it with retro stuff. So I have, like, vintage toys. I have, well, old video games, computers, you know, CRT TVs and everything. So it's a pretty cool place to hang out. And this is also where I compose my music mainly. Uh, I don't really have a good studio equipment set up here. I just have, you know, some speakers and a, an old-school Yamaha receiver. But, you know, it's pretty good. That's I was going to cool. say, I mean, if you're composing the music you make in that kind of room, no wonder it sounds so awesome. Because you're like immediately into the right headspace. Just like, look right, at, exactly. I mean, look you at just, that. Exactly. You look around <laughs> and you're inspired immediately. Yeah, I think you shouldn't underestimate that. I think the environment where you compose is quite important because I, I think you draw inspiration in the moment from things around you as well. So, I mean, many of the, of the I can show you a few things here, but this here is a critter from. Uh, it's a puppet, actually. This, this is made by a guy in Mexico. Uh, handmade. It took forever to get it, but this is actually from the films, The Critters, an 80s horror film. Yeah, uh, that's awesome, man. I can't yeah, say I've seen cool. them, but I've certainly heard them thrown around quite a bit. I uh, yeah. I have a, a movie and TV podcast as well. I'm I'm the TV nerd there, so the film side gets a little lost on me, but all these people we collaborate, especially around Halloween, it's Critters this, Critters that. So it's yeah. certainly on my bucket list, but that's awesome, yeah. man. And made yeah. them. Quite a few things here that, I mean, are quite cool. So, yeah. So... All right, there's a lot I want to unpack here, but I want to first stay in the realm of your story and your sound. Mm -hmm. But I, we definitely got to talk a little further about all the various things you have behind you. You're talking about growing up, sort of your dad's in like a 50s, 60s sort of rock and roll band. I'm assuming rock and roll, like the Temptations and like what actually was rock and roll, as they yeah. called it, and not like, you know, Led Zeppelin, which was like, we called it rock and roll, but really now it's categorized as rock music. And and so then you go on and, and you play pretty much every single kind of music known to man. Mm. So I assume there's a point in time where either, you know, people move on, life happens, things change. And so being in a band gets harder and harder, or maybe your tastes change and the people you're playing with don't. But somewhere along the line, you ended up making retro wave, synth wave. And I'll let you describe it because I know everyone kind of has their own unique touch that they put on the genre. Yeah. How does that happen? You know, going from someone who hates 80s music to now and playing every kind of genre of music aside from 80s music to now sitting mm. in a neon filled room with, with trinkets and and, you know, you know, memorabilia from that era to making synthwave. You know, there's a lot that I want to know in between there. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it goes back to video games and, and computer games because, you know, I was the typical nerd back in, in high school and. And like I said, I, I was working with music even then, not composing just for fun. And back then you had really simple sequencers. And you're, I mean, you, you loaded really tiny samples into them and you would play them back in like a, some sort of pattern-based thing. Uh, so we did that all the time. And then we went to MIDI instead and we started using like Cakewalk and those programs. Um, and so electronic music has always been there. I always worked with that even growing up, but more in the background of the bands that I played in. And then, I, like you said, I mean, it's difficult to, to keep a band together. People, you know, they move away, they start working, they, they have a family. It's difficult. And, and it's very sort of, it's, it's, it's easy to work on your own because it's just you. And you can work whenever you like. You don't have to get together for band practice. You can just, you know, work whenever you can. So I think it's quite, it suits me quite well. And with the 80s thing, I'm not sure. I, I think the first like synth wave stuff I listened to was like the retro wave. 
compilation that Spotify has. They have an official playlist called New Retrowave or something. And I, I listened that. to that and I was playing like, <laughs> I think it was playing Super Meat Boy, you know, that, that, that game. Real difficult. Uh, I was looking yeah, at that, that playing. And I realized this is really cool, so I wanted to do something similar. And through that, I think I sort of rediscovered '80s music and what that is about. And I re I realized I really like it. I know there's something really special about it. And all all of a sudden, all those things that I used to mock and ridicule, like the reverb and the drums and everything, I mean, that became the best things about it. So yeah. No, totally. That that makes sense, man. And I think video games have kind of done a lot to push that culture forward. Uh, just the electronic music lends itself so well to video games. Mm. And also with like movie scoring and stuff, you know, you have Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross coming along and sort of implementing that like Nine Inch Nails synth style into film. Yeah, and of like course, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, him From, too. Yeah. And and just like, you know, look at the new Mandalorian score, right? I mean, that has a lot of undertones there as well. So it certainly has permeated the culture. But somewhere along the line, you know, there's like, there's scoring, which borrows elements, but also there's Hans Zimmer and I would say, you know, uh, Ross and Reznor. They're still very modern, though, and they fit the movie. And aside from Blade Runner, which Hans Zimmer did, which was a phenomenal score, mm -hmm. you know, the new one, 2049. Yeah. He kind of, that's the only real retro touch that he's had, even though he's using synthesis a lot in his music. So yeah. what made you want to be like, okay, well, I was slapping the bass in real life, but now I'm going to plug the MIDI controller in and sort of like, you know, program in the bass, but it's a different kind of bass. It's like, you know, that classic 80s, like, you know, bounce pad bass. And, and I'm going to throw a little, you know, chorus on it because that's how it, it's going to cut through in the mix and that's what they yeah. did back then like where where did that transition happen was it just from like playing the video games and just being so musically inclined that you're like well now i gotta make some of this or was there like a conscious decision that you made I'm, I'm i'm curious about the process yeah i think partly what you said and also i think i've always been very careful and, and i'm a bit of like a perfectionist when it comes to rhythm and and timing and pacing and a band playing tight. I've been really obsessed with that. I mean, when we played Funk and Soul, I was always annoyed if the drummer wouldn't play tight enough and if it would sort of lag behind or play too fast or something. And with electronic music, you really nail that down. I mean, you can make it really tight. And it, it, you can, if you're a perfectionist, you can really achieve your goals more easily if you're working with electronic music. So I think part of what you said, but also the fact that it, it's quite, you're in control. So if you're a control freak, I mean, playing electronic music in a sequencer, you know, I, I try sometimes to, you know, do some live playing also, but I mainly sequence everything I do because I like to be in control of everything. So I think that, that's also why I turned to electronic music. Yeah, no, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense, man. It sounds like a real natural progression as well. You know, like what I find is it's uh because I, I always try to think, how did I sort of stumble upon this? And so I was shown, Andrew and I were shown The Midnight at the same point in time. Uh, mm -hmm. After a band practice, we were like in a blues band, dude, uh, for the most part, like for real. At, playing at that like, moment, it was a blues band. At <laughs> <laughs> that moment, it was a blues band. And we would used to, because I come from a punk rock background, so I would work like the, do it, the DIY circuit here and uh, just sort of go on the Facebook group and book shows. So we'd be the blues band playing with punk bands. So we never quite really fit in. But then like I heard that Midnight album, uh, Nocturnal and Crystalline in specific. And I was just like, 
I've always liked Phil Collins. Seen him a few times at that point in time already to begin with. You know, my parents kind of raised me right, showed me the classics as well mm-hmm. as let me go out and find music on my own. But but I'm obsessed now with it. And it's like once you get that taste of synthwave, at least for me personally, it's really hard to look back. What I was your first? That Chris is obsessed with synthwave. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Cannon, when, when when we really start getting back to writing, we will compromise. Don't worry, I won't drown you in the reverb, so to speak, Andrew. But <laughs> like, I, I'm curious, like, what was your like, you know, taste of sort of the synthwave genre? You know, we spoke about the culture, we spoke about the video games, and and like the synthesis and that kind of music. But this is a different formula, a different song structure to like something the Midnight does. And so, where did mm. that first kind of hit you? Uh, I think, I, I suppose I just went through that playlist on Spotify, but then what, where, where it really sort of lingered was around Starcadian. I'm not sure you know Starcadian, but Starcadian, I, his music is amazing, I think, because it captures like everything that's cool about AIDS culture. I think his slogan used to be like, I make ear movies. And, and he's referring to the fact that his, his music is like movies. He's trying to capture like a story progression and, and, intensity and a climax and such uh, and it's really amazing what, what he's doing i mean uh, all of his tracks are very atmospheric and, and they really sort of they capture the vibe of like old 80s cartoons that used to play in the morning uh, you get like well pretty much everything there so i think starcadian for me was like and i i think subconsciously i'm trying to copy starcadian in part I, i'm trying to sort of well, borrow things from him I, I'm not really doing it well, but I'm, I'm trying at least to sort of achieve that vibe that he has in his songs. So I think mm-hmm. Starcadian is like the main inspiration there in Synthwave. Yeah, also that makes George sense. Bishop. Yeah, yeah, I definitely can see some of that as well. I think that George Bishop's pretty dope, man, especially this mm-hmm. newest record. It's got like these, I showed Andrew some of it. It's got like these like almost like neo-disco sort of like touch on it this 70 yeah. like he, he went even further back in time with this new record in my opinion it's got like those 70 string hits and all that but yeah no like you, you speak about like cinematic elements and mm. obviously there's movie memorabilia all around you and i do kind of notice like with your albums and there are a lot but the few i've listened to like you know the haunt in specific or yeah. um most recently i was just jamming out as i was working out today to headhunter there's a narrative there and I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I listen to all of your albums, you're trying to tell a story from track one, the track, whatever, the end. And so how did that kind of come about? Because you do a good job of sort of inserting like just enough of dialogue where it's not a radio play, but like you understand like, oh, these are characters and they're at this lake. And so you're paying homage to like the mm. slasher genre is what I got, mm. obviously, from Headhunter. And, you know, The Haunt is a little more, I'd say, sort of paranormal if that's correct you can correct me if i'm wrong there so like Mm -hmm. how do you kind of go about composing that because it's interesting and this is like one of the main things i wanted to ask you for the most Mm -hmm. part you're instrumental yet there's such a strong story to your music Mm. yeah like the haunt that was i I think originally i was looking at video games like castlevania you know the, the the fantasy rpg style old school video games the gothic style fantasy genre so I wanted to do something with that and sort of mix that into uh, synthwave and see if I could use the synthwave sort of recipe for that. And I think there's another uh, act. I think they're called Magic Sword. I haven't really listened to them that much, but I think they're also doing something similar. They're also mixing fantasy and golf style music with 
synthwave. Uh, but that was the, the purpose with the haunt, I think, to to write something like that. You know, it was supposed to be like a video game soundtrack, like Castlevania style soundtrack for for the games. And there's a progression there, I, I think. There, at least I'm trying to sort of go from beginning to end. And there's supposed to be a boss fight at the end, right? And, you know, so yeah. And Headhunter, obviously, that that's where that's like you said, the slasher films. I really like like the, the Friday the Thirteenth films, Halloween, all those films. So I was just trying to, you know, look at the soundtracks of those films and, you know, pick some things out that I could use, but still also I didn't really want it to sound like a background style soundtrack, you know, that's supposed to play in the background. I wanted it to, to, to be like real songs with a melody. So it was really difficult to put it together. I really struggled to, to make it work. And I don't think I really managed to do that. I'm not very happy with that album, but it's, it's, it's well, it's sort of, you know, got somewhere at least. You mean Headhunter? That's the one you're not saying yeah. to. Really, that's interesting to me. Okay, because you're very prolific. You kind of pump music out like really, really quickly. You put out what four albums last year? Yeah. I mean that's insane, man. I think I've been making music since I was 13, going to studios and recording it since I was 13. I'm 26 now, and I think I have 20, probably one song for each year i've been alive roughly 26 yeah. to 30 songs that i've released mm -hmm. and yet you put out like 40 in a year so yeah. i guess are you saying maybe there's a downside to how quickly you work and and maybe is that something you're going to try and keep in mind going forward mm, yeah i think so because i think i'm rushing sometimes a bit not really rushing though but i, I think that before i finish one album i i i i, I there's this i have this idea that i have to have begun work on the next album before i finish uh, the one I'm working on, so there has to be something there to go to when I'm done. I don't. I never like to just finish something and then begin from scratch with, with something new. I, I usually work in parallel with, with several different things, so I can just jump onto the next project when I'm done with one. Um, I'm not sure why I'm doing that, but you know that that's a bit troublesome. I think sometimes because it it might mess up. It might shift my focus from one project to another when I should be focusing on finishing one project. But, you know, I think I'm, I'm just quite fast when it comes to, to songwriting. And, and, yeah, I think that, I, but I've been thinking about this, you know, if you release music too often, maybe people will, you know, think or suspect that you're just rushing things. There, there's no soul in it. You're just pumping things out. Um, you know, there's a risk, I think. I was thinking about that. Is, is it wiser to just release songs more sporadically or, I read somewhere that that people say, well, three years is the perfect like spacing between albums, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if that necessarily holds up now in like the modern economy that streaming and, and Spotify and specific have created. You know, I, I kind of, I mean, it's funny to hear you say that. I thought that you were doing such consistent releases, a because you were prolific and. I think there's like a confidence that comes there, sort of being like a one-man show and just mm. knowing like, all right, the track's done and I'm going to put it out. And I assume you mix and master everything yourself too, like most you know producers in, in the genre. Mm. So I was like, all right, this guy knows his skill set. And so he's trying to now play the game of, you know, working the algorithms of Spotify and sort of, you know, every three months putting out music every four months to keep consistent, mm. to keep popping up in that 
you know, like when you go on Spotify, like Andrew and I, I know we both share Ghost in common. So like when they were putting their album out last year, I'd get like 90 notifications when I'd open up Spotify. Ghost put out a new right. single. Ghost, mm-hmm. And so I assumed that that's what you were doing. So it's really interesting to hear but that I mean, you were doing that. Yeah. And it, and you see that like a lot of mainstream artists were doing that too. Like Taylor Swift put out two albums last year and yeah. they were both pretty much surprise albums. Um, and who else just, somebody else just did that, I feel. Surprise record, like a big pop star. No, um, oh, I mean, well, Haley Williams also just put out one album last year and just released another album like three days ago. So, that is true. Like everybody's just they got they have songs and they know that fans want to hear them, especially now that everyone's like locked down and we're not sure exactly when safe shows are coming back to America. At least, like, Mm. all the artists are like, well, we need to keep relevant and keep making something so they're just pumping out singles and albums and stuff like that i think yeah so i don't think that there's i mean i'm like you said i'm sure that there comes a point where when you're putting it out enough that people are like all right like how much of this does he actually like but Mm. i think that there's also a big thing where you just you write so many songs that like you put out a certain amount and then you just still have some that you you like that they just weren't for this group of the other group of songs you know so I think that there's definitely a lot of ways that you can just constantly be putting out music and be authentic at the same time. Yeah, I think that holds true. It's uh, it, it is still funny though to hear you say that that's happenstance that you were kind of, in my opinion, perfectly playing the Spotify algorithm game and sort of keeping current the way that most musicians try so desperately to. And honestly, a lot of people they put out one song every three four months. You're putting out like 10 song records at some points at least like four to five songs on like a smaller ep so so kind of take us through your process then you know like the creative process Mm. when you sit down and i know uh, look i guess we're just going to assume that you already have something going on but like so when you start that parallel you know that new parallel how's that Mm. go for you um yeah, I, was, I read somewhere also, you know, what we talked about before that, you know, it, it's it's a good thing to release music often because you stay relevant. I mean, people know, I mean, you don't, there is a, supposedly something good about that, but, you know, I think there's a balance, I suppose, and the risk, I mean, you don't want people to think that you're rushing things and that you're just pumping up because, but... I really don't feel like that. I feel like I'm actually, I, I really like the music I create. Now, I think if you are quick in production and you really like it and it's good to go, then why not release it? I mean, I think you should. So that's been the philosophy that if something is done, regardless of how quickly I finish it and I really like it, then I, I'll put it out. So I think that's, you know, the way. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm actually working on a new album right now. So. Uh, this is going to be like a, a funky, upbeat, but sometimes also a bit moody. Uh, and the inspiration from this, I think we, we actually built a pool here outside in the garden this summer. Uh, and at night I was out there, I'd take some snapshots and I could see like the light under the water. It was dark and really nice. And we had some lighting around there, colored lighting and really looking good. So that's the, the whole poolside environment really inspired me for this one. So. It's going to be something like that, I suppose. More a bit more traditional synth wave, I think, think this time. So, but okay. I think that yeah, I, I usually work with several tracks at once. I don't like finish one track and then go to the next. I, I I write maybe the intro, then I write something else on another track, and then I keep going. 
until I am like 10 tracks. And then I tried to sort of, you know, make sure they work well together. This is going to be a specific mood in this track. This is going to be mood in this track. And then I just tried to sort of to, well, balance the album before I even finish one single track. And then I finish, then I start finishing the tracks one by one. Uh, but it's really like a, a jigsaw puzzle. I'm not really working one single piece until it's done. So I'm not sure what, what's customary, what people do, but. Yeah, see, I do that when I'm working on an album. I try to make everything be cohesive and, you know, sometimes you'll sit down and you'll be like, man, I just want to finish the first song I started working on. And then, you know, you get like four more before you have an inspiration or an idea and how to close out that first track. But are you saying that you work on multiple albums simultaneously? Because if so, that is something that I've never tried, but I can just see with life and having two podcasts and just everything else just kind of losing something there so is that where some of your frustration might come from you know some of the mm -hmm. records that you were talking about or or do you still focus on one album at a time and you're talking about just parallel tracks in the same record yeah because it's normally when i i'm nearing like the end of one album when i'm ready to to when i when i have maybe some tiny things to do and, and maybe the mastering and mixing and such uh, and maybe some songwriting left. Usually at the end of that project, I begin, I mean, subconsciously working on something else. Maybe I write something for the project that doesn't really fit. I throw it out and that becomes the next album. And then I start working with that in parallel to, to the other album. Um, oh, okay. And I think that's what happened with Headhunter that uh, I was, it was meant to release like on Halloween. Uh, I think I even had sort of written that somewhere that it will be out on Halloween, but uh, sort of in the finishing stages of that, I, I started working on the next album uh, and that sort of distracted me a bit. So I couldn't finish Headhunter on time because I was already working on the next album. So I, I think it would be better actually, if you would actually work and finish one album, then go on to the next. So I think that's something I'll, I'll try to do in the future, but yeah, I have this tendency to just jump ahead before I'm done with something. Trust me, I get it. There's that meme on the internet um, where it's like you can go forward and finish the track you've been working on or you can veer off of the highway yeah. and start another new song. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and I mean, when you have your own studio, man, it's it's a, you're in your playground. You're sitting hmm. in your playground every day. I mean, not to mention, like, God, you can't forget that idea. You got to get yeah. it down. True. Hmm. Yeah. Because who knows? That could be your biggest song. Take yeah. your biggest song ever. It really is a curse, like, man. I'll do it later, and then you forget, and then it's gone forever. Yeah. No, I, I totally hear you. So there is a few questions I want to ask, and I feel like we should go to the how did you learn how to mix and produce and all that type of stuff, and like your studio, and like what's that like? Because it looks like you have an awesome place. But I know for a fact when you brought up Castlevania earlier, Andrew's mm -hmm. ears perked up because Andrew put me on to that Netflix TV show. So oh, I want to yeah. take a little side turn and kind of like, have you seen the new season? I'm currently working through it right now. I think it's pretty badass, but have you, have you checked that out by any chance? No, you know, I, I haven't even watched the first season. I'm a really big fan of Castlevania. I played through like the first three games and the Super Nintendo version, the Super Famicom version. Uh, I'm a really big fan of the games, but I haven't had the chance to check out the series. I, I know about it. I've seen it. 
I've seen clips. I, I know the style and everything looks awesome, but I haven't been able to check it out yet. So I have that left to do. So, Dude, it's it's amazing. I have like a movie and uh, TV podcast and like my co-host is like, are you really going to put that in your top 10 television shows of the year? And I'm mm. like, yeah, good writing is good writing. It doesn't matter the medium, you know, they're like that's this is an amazing show. Like I highly recommend everyone check it out. Yeah, so, I was actually I, going to do I tried to do a music video using like sequences from from that show uh, for one of the songs in the halls. So that would be pretty cool. Yeah, be careful with that. If you put it on YouTube, you know, yeah, they're pretty yeah. aggressive. But uh, mm -hmm. I think that's a cool idea. What what other games do you play then? What are like some of your... Because it seems like, you know, you're in synthesis. It seems like you're not just playing the games. Like it seems like you're paying attention to the artistic qualities, like the score and the sound effects mm -hmm. when you're playing these games. So like where are some of your inspirations in regards to like video games that, that kind of lead into your music? Yeah, I think with the the haunt and with the Castlevania theme, I, that was really what I was looking at the video games and the early video games and, and how they sounded. And it's like, you know, those games are, it's like classical music. The bass in, in the music there is classical. So um, it, it's based on that. And so I, I try to sort of borrow some things from there. But yeah, video games is a, a huge inspiration in the music too. So um, I, I play mostly retro video games. Um, mostly 8-bit, 16-bit, that era. Mega Man. Okay. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's it's a hobby to collect these games, but it's getting really expensive. I mean, if, if you're looking for boxed games. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel that. What are some of the retro games that you, like, play? Give us some uh, specific names. Maybe we have something in uh, common. Yeah. I, I mo Most recently, I played through um, uh, Metroid for Nintendo 8-bit system and then also super metroid which is really awesome uh, and i played through i also like fancy games so i played through um the zelda for the super nes um nice. that, what what's it called zelda for the super nes is it a is link to the zelda, to zelda 2 uh, oh no, no, no yeah no well, you're right link to the, the past where you go on where uh, you're on the island yeah i think so and the big I'm egg not, i'm not a big zelda fan generally but it's a really good game so but I play pretty much anything as long as it's either sci-fi or fantasy or, or I don't really like RPG that much, but you know, it happens too. So. so I would recommend to you, there's a Jurassic Park Super Nintendo game. Yeah, I know. In, in, uh, do, you, do you like that game? I think it's incredible. I haven't played it. I, th I played it on the Amiga, actually, the Amiga computer. Uh, this one that's behind me there, that's an old Amiga 1200 computer. Uh, but uh, it's, the, it's the one, it's like a top-down isometric thing, like you walk around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Is it good? It's, uh, it's, it's wild, dude. I mean, Andrew, did you ever play that? No, I've never played Super Nintendo. You never? Did you ever have one? No. Okay, so Andrew, I, I think this Sega is the Genesis. reason why... Gotcha. I need to let you borrow my Super Nintendo because I think this is subconsciously why I got into this this style of music as far as like mm. being a fan and a music listener goes. <laughs> my, I, my mom's brother sort of left all of his old video game stuff at my grandparents' house. So when I was little, I'd go over there and there was a Super Nintendo and I had the Nintendo 64, but I would play the Super Nintendo too. So I'd play like Mega Man and the Jurassic Park game. There was Zelda. Yeah. Um, and let's be honest, he was like a little too old to be playing Super Nintendo, but he still had one, whatever. <laughs> but so I kind of got exposed to like the 8-bit and all that type of stuff. And then Pokemon, that's such an oh, Andrew yeah. and I's generation. That mm. was like my game, dude. I lost my True. mind to Pokemon. I know Andrew was 
even did you deeper play on than the that. Did you the or what, what platform? Yeah, Game Boy, man. I had the first yeah. ever Game Boy, the giant mm. one, and then I got like the smaller one, and then the DS. I, was... Yeah, my first mm. one was the Game Boy Pocket, the the smaller oh, red man. one. The SP, the flip phone one. The SP, that was I awesome. Have, I still have mine somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta that find that great. man because now it's so cool to have them on display, and I don't know if I threw them out or not, or what the hell happened to them. It's uh, I'm envious True. of your setup. Point in case, man. <laughs> but Zelda. Real quick before we kind of jump into like, and Andrew, you know, jump in and, and ask anything you want, man. Don't don't be bashful here. I feel like you're a little, uh, you know, a little intimidated all, by all this '80s talk. Yeah, I'm just always out of my element a little bit when we're talking synthwave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, Zelda used to make me really uncomfortable because I don't know what it was about it. The vibe of the game when I was a little kid, like, it made me feel sad playing that game i think it's that opening sequence where you're in the rain and you rush into the castle and you're yeah. like looking for her and so i never got too far in zelda and i still it's funny i still feel that way when i go back now breath of the wild's the only game i didn't play it because i don't have a nintendo switch but i watched someone play it twitch.com slash co carnage inside joke <laughs> between me and andrew and uh i, I so i you know that is different because they kind of ported it to like an rpg of today's standards like just, yeah, you know, I, I played that game for like 110 hours. Yeah. And I watched you play it for a little bit. It was actually pretty cool. But something about like it's the only game. old NES game that brings up like bad vibes for me for some reason is that Zelda game you brought up. I don't know why. Yeah, I think you're right, though. It's quite dark, actually. And also the music is quite sad and, and, and sort of brooding and moody. So I think definitely, right. yeah, it's, it's dark. It's de yeah, because it's supposed to be all dreamy and stuff. Yeah. But... There's also and and when you're in the basement stuff. and there's the guy with that kind of scary helmet and the mace that he's swinging around, that, that yeah. really freaked me out. That was where I always mm. kind of tapped out, like, all right, that's it. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever watched uh, WWE, but there was a, a character called the Boogeyman, and, and sometimes he would come out twice in one night, and that was it. I knew I wasn't seeing the main event. Like, one time <laughs> oh, wasn't really? enough. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Was he the one with the pink <laughs> face, or was that someone else? No, that was yeah, the he, he kind of looked like Darth Maul, and he had the giant clock around his neck. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm going back to WWE. terrifying. Now in the 90s, but it wasn't cool, really... man. I was like 11, and he terrified me. And he yeah, got popular gosh. for a while, so they used to bring him out a couple times in a night, and that's when I would tune out. Whatever, I'll see the highlights on, on the <laughs> WWE website the next day. But, no, that's funny, man. I, that That's really cool because I think that, you know, you kind of being into the culture is – because I think a lot of people in this genre, let's be honest, they adopt it quickly because they love the music and they love the sound. But I think there is, with any type of music, like if you're playing blues and you don't know B.B. Mm. King and you don't know Eric Clapton, something's going to come off as not right there. I don't want to yeah. say fake because you might just really like the music, but you might not know the history. But you, when I listen to your, your sound, you know, I think like, oh man, this guy cuts through because he's not like the rest of them like there's mm. sort of a depth of understanding of the history that because this music's rooted in a time period that mm. is 40 years ago now and yeah. that's kind of crazy you know so i definitely feel that i'm kind of glad that i got to uh get that out of you because now i know for sure i can i can rest yeah. easy when i listen and be like yeah this guy knows i'm also a big music history guy so mm. to me that's important and, and i mean i think you, you you touched upon that before that you know the genre has it's, it's sort of branched out more now because the 10 15 years ago i mean even then it, when simply was relatively new it, it was everything was quite generic everything sounded the same but it's starting to sort of branch out more and more now 
And it's it's natural thing, I think, because, you know, it's a really small genre. And for if you look at the Midnight, for example, um, I mean, if they want to grow as a band and become bigger and reach a wider audience, they will have to develop their music. They can't stay within that small synthwave box because it's just too small. The, the audience isn't that big. So if they aren't happy with, with just being a synthwave act for a small audience, then they need to do something. They need to incorporate like modern EDM things in their music. And that's what they're doing now with the latest album, I think. You can clearly see they're, they're sort of steering more towards modern EDM. Yeah, and there's also some like kind of hip hop elements as well with yeah. like the way that they have mm. those like sort of trap beats in a, in a sense too. Mm. Um, personally, was not the biggest fan at first, but it's really grown on me because I, mm. I understand what you're saying. It took a while though. I was like, no, not the midnight, please. <laughs> I just and I was like, well, I shouldn't have. And that's another thing too. I actually kind of want both of your guys take on it. Like I had to like because this happens a lot on my movie podcast. And it's where you get annoyed when a film franchise finally veers off and takes a risk and does something different. Whereas, mm. like, you know, I feel like if we didn't have the internet and this, like, culture of social media, this fandom that comes out now where you can instantly communicate with the creators, they might not hear you, but you can leave a comment on their YouTube video and you can read other comments and get the hive mind thought process. So I was like, damn, like, they're betraying us or they're doing this. And then I realized, like, some of that was just reading the comments, you know, and yeah. and just judging it out the gates. And and whereas if I didn't have social media and it was just like, oh, I'm going to the store to pick up a new Midnight record. I wonder what this sounds like. The excitement there would already have me like it more than like the teaser clips leading up. And like social media almost kind of backfires in a sense there. You know, mm. like, what, what do you guys think about that? Because you're right. You got to progress out of this boxy genre if you eventually want to like you do something unique with like the cinematic elements to your music and telling mm. a story. You can't just stay stagnant in art, I believe. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think so. I think it happens with all forms of art nowadays. Like, it happens... We just talked about it on the No NPCs one with video games. They do it with movies, everything. Like, they just spend so much time and money hyping something up and just telling you, like, you have to listen to this and it's going to be the biggest thing ever and it's going to be great and it's going to change your life forever. And then you're like, wow, this is going to be awesome. And then you experience it and it's, it lets you down because they promised you everything. <laughs> like they just hype it up so much and they're like, you got to do it. Like, if you don't listen to this, you're not cool. And then like, mm. it's just, it, it always lets you down because you're expecting it to change your life and you can't, you can't expect things like that. Like, that's why I almost think that part of why Taylor Swift just like dropped two albums with like little to no warning is just so that, they no one like no one was ready for it and then they're just like holy shit we just got a whole album and you're like i'm so excited to listen to this album and then you listen, you're like oh my god i just got a whole taylor swift album and then boom there's a second one you're like holy shit so much music mm. and true and if you think you about it the drake surprise record from last year was his biggest album in Beyond, a long time beyonce did it a few years ago K kanye west scoop did he poop i mean say what you will about that album and that song that was a huge splash in the pan and no one saw that right. coming even if you hyped it up no exactly. one saw that coming but i think you know what i'm trying to say <laughs> right exactly yeah what's your what's your but take yeah. on all that man like the internet age sort of cultivating mm. a um an expectation that i don't know if fans deserve but do you agree with that or, or disagree with that yeah i was thinking about that because um Previously, I wasn't really, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, posting previews and, you know, saying the album will be out in 10 days and nine days and eight days and such. Um, and and I, I really sort of started doing that a while back and, and tried to do that. But it's really tiring. It's exhausting just to, you know, keep the social media game going. 
it's, it's quite you know nice to just drop something out of the blue. And maybe that's a better approach sometimes to just, I mean, suddenly the album appears and people are interested. They want to find out. And if you posted previews for like a month before, people already know what the album is. So yeah, I think it might be a good thing to actually surprise people sometimes. Yeah, you're lucky that you have so many cool different like set pieces behind you that you can post pictures of every now and then. Yeah. That that kind of helps to uh, mm. keep things going. But no, you're right, man. I think uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, I got, I got over quickly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like the progression of the midnight, because I was like, who am I? It's like, who cares, man? I don't listen to it if I don't like it. Why am I like, you know, I knew I knew not to do that. But like you eventually just get so caught up in the things you like. And this new type of fandom is uh, it could be toxic sometimes, mm. at least in my experience. But since we're uh, sort of rounding the back half of this this interview, kind of jumping back to Surge here, man, I'm curious, like the production side of things, you know, that, that mix and mastering process and, and your studio, like, would you mind taking us into like your mind a little bit and your workflow and, and sort of cultivating the mix and crafting all that? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really not schooled in this at all. I, I've learned, you know, on my own, I picked up things. Uh, I have a good friend who's really good at music engineering. So I, I, I watch his YouTube tutorials. So I, I sort of learned from from nothing, so I have no schooling. I actually, I've studied music in the past, I mean, but that was music theory and playing music. So uh, the whole engineering thing is uh, when I started, you know, with, with proper electronic music, uh, that was quite new to me. So I, I've learned along the way and I'm just using like my ears a lot. I just listen to, you know, the mixing, for example, what sounds good. I mean, I know, I'm not, I'm not using any specific theories or such. I'm not, you know, um, reading about, you know, what, what is a good mix and how, how should you pan things left and right and such. I'm just, you know, doing whatever sounds good. And the same with the mastering. I'm just trying to boost the volume as much as I can without messing up the mix. So it's, I mean, there's no science in this for me at all, really. So I'm just listening to the music and trying to make it sound good. And, so far, I, I think it's it's been quite successful. So, I mean, it's not perfect at all. I, I'm not really happy with any of the mixes or, or, or the masters that I've produced. But, I mean, it, it's it's enough, I think. Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I think uh, you're a little too humble, and I respect that a lot because I think your mixes are pretty uh, badass, I would say. Um, but, no, that, that's pretty cool, man. So you're working in the garage. Is this what we've been seeing the whole interview this is where the magic happens then yeah nice man do you have any cool synths or any like you know special toys that you think like make your sound unique any like old hardware gear because i know all these like guys like they love to like post their junos and all that type mm. of stuff like what, what's in your collection no there, there's not a single hardware synth there actually i do have a few though at my father's house so um uh, but i'm not really using any here i'm using vsts and i'm using like you, you know reproduction sounds and everything. So I would love to have, there's actually a DX7 now they're selling at a local music store here uh, that I'm I, I'm thinking about picking that up because it's, it's you know, it's a classic, awesome scent. But uh, right now it's only my computer and my, my, my digital audio workstation. So it's nothing else here, but mostly toys. I mean, I not that much in terms of music equipment. It's just, you know, toys and video games. My, my shelves are overflowing with, retro things so i can't really show you but uh, i have a lot of like toys and, and things so i know you showed us cool. the uh the critters um you know uh recreation but do you have like is that your favorite like sort of 
I- item that you have in there? Is like, do you have a favorite sort of? I'll call it set piece. I'm just a film guy, so coming from that background, like, what what would be your favorite set piece in that room? Oh yeah, there's so many. I'm not sure where I could uh, if I could show you. Maybe maybe I can see I mean, up here. What you're seeing there is actually the Terminator 2. That's a rock, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. But it's, it's <laughs> That's awesome. Terminator That's so cool. So, yeah, it's T-1000 fighting T-800 there. Uh, and then, I see Akira right next to it. That's really sweet. Yeah. And there is, I mean, that Jason model kit there is pretty cool, too. It's actually vintage from, I think it's from 89 or something. Wow. You're supposed oh, to, you have a VCR. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering what that was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, I, so many things, and I also like. Well, up there you can see the Rambo, uh, the Rambo oh, wow. gun. Damn, I dude, wrote, you really, yeah. you got quite the collection, man. Yeah, so Damn. I'm working on this, but like I said, this is also inexpensive. I mean, retro video games and retro toys. So that's, you know, oh wow, it's quite expensive. Oh, yeah. I think my, my favorite piece, if I get to show you, is actually, you see that up there? It's a Back to the Future DeLorean. That's that's the... Oh, yeah. It's an RC radio car. I mean, you can control it with a remote. So you can, it's pretty yeah, cool. that's pretty sweet. That's awesome, man. Thank you for wow. showing us all that. That's yeah. really cool. I know, I know this isn't talking TV, but do you have a favorite retro movie, like from the 80s? Oh, well, I have to go back. What am I normally watching several times a year? Well, you know, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. I really like that. There you go. Wow. Chevy Chase, man. Yeah, Chevy Chase. Uh, also, well, all the sci-fi films. The Critters, Gremlins. Gremlins is awesome. I mean, Gremlins 1 and 2. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Those also um, scared me when I was a little kid, by the way. Yeah. A lot of things scared me. Dogs. It was scary. Hey man, I um, got scared at the, the bugs. I got scared at the Bugs Life 3D show in Disney World when I was a kid. So, damn, I got dude. I got scared in Universal Park at the Jurassic Park World because I thought the dinosaur was real. It's it was too it, the 3D was too much. Well, actually, technically, it was a 4D show because they also like filled the room with smells and like air puffs and. Oh, that was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I'm sure I would like it now, but as a seven year old, it was way too it's sensory it was like, overload. Sen- I was just gonna say that. Sensory sorry, I didn't overload. mean to. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. sorry, Andrew. I, I can't help myself. Hey, listen, <laughs> co-hosts do that sometimes. It's totally fine. <laughs> That's true. Nah, man, John, dude, this was really cool. Is there anything yeah. we left out in your journey uh, before we kind of jump into what we can expect from you in the future? Uh, no, I think we, we covered it, at least the, the interesting part. So, um, yeah, that's it, I think. Perfect, man. So, well, actually, yeah, I exactly. just really, when was the first time you watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Ooh, actually, I, I mean, I, I didn't watch it in the 80s, I think. I actually, uh, well, maybe, maybe 10 years ago. Wow, that's cool. Wow. Had an impact. Chris, you want to ask him the other question? I think you should, man. All right, fine. Well, we do have one final question, actually, before we start um, getting to the final part of the interview. We ask everybody this question. If you had to describe yourself as an artist, musician, creative, whatever you want to call it, um, what's the one word you would use to describe yourself? And then you can uh, explain why you picked that word, but one word. I, I think I would say confused, probably. 
Yeah, great, that's a great answer. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes confusion can lead to cool things in music. So, I mean, yeah, many times I'm very scattered. I'm haphazard. I'm just, you know, writing things at random and I stumble upon cool melodies. I, I, I like to think that maybe like 80% of what I write is actually just, you know, accidents happening. And then I, I find something cool in that. But I think it's, you know, you, you need a good ear to be able to recognize when something sounds good too. So, so I think I'm a bit haphazard in what I'm doing, but I think it's also a good thing sometimes. But um, I rarely have a plan going into something. I, I just, you know, write something and if it sounds good, I keep it. So I think confused is pretty good actually. I like that. That's a first too, by the way. We've had yeah. a few repeats, but no, one no one's else. ever said that. No one's so confused. Yeah, man. So John from Surge, dude, before we let you go, I kind of want to know what we can expect from you in this new year that we're still sort of seeing and hopefully it's a better year for everyone, but also like your hopes for the project for Surge, you know, like where yeah. do you hope this thing can go? Like, is the sky the limit? Is it further? And, and what can we definitely expect on the horizon from you and, and Surge? Yeah, well, I, I think I'm pretty happy in the, the small synthway box so far. Um, I mean, I, I have no bigger ambitions than that. I, if people like what I'm doing and listen to it, that, that's really cool. I mean, I, I look at Spotify, I'm seeing, well, I have 2,000 listeners each month. That's amazing amazing to me. I, 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 I'm very happy with that. So uh, I'm just going to stay in that small field, I think. Um, I'm not planning on branching out into anything else, mainly so. Uh, and for the next project, I think that's about 95% done. So that's going to be out probably, well, this month, probably so. Uh, and then I was planning on actually going back to The Haunt. I was planning on doing a follow-up album to The Haunt because I, I felt that I, I wasn't quite done with that. So, uh, And people seem to really like that. So I'm going to, to try to do some sort of you know continuation of that. So nice, that's man. probably going to happen next let us know when you're gearing up to put that one out. We'll have to have you uh, come back on and we can do like a segment on like, you know, the part two of that. That'd be cool. Yeah, to chat about. Sure. <laughs> cool, dude. Well, John, thanks again for your time, man. I know we have like a pretty big time difference, I would say, but we made it work and uh, yeah. appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate it. Good to be and with you. The... Yeah, man. Where can the people find you? Keep up to date with everything that you do on the internet before we let you go here. Yeah, that's Instagram, search.mtx, and then Twitter is the same handle, so I, I suppose Twitter and, and Instagram mainly. Perfect, and he's on all the major streaming services. Just type in Surge, and uh, you'll get hip to his artwork style, which is uh, also pretty unique for the genre. So, yeah, man, this was awesome. Thank you for hanging with us tonight, dude. Really, Hi. really appreciate it. Yeah. Cool, so if you wanted to stick around... If you wanted to take off, I know it's late there. That's cool. Andrew and I are going to pull you to the back lobby and we're just going to do our uh, sort of goodbye real quick. And I guess, Andrew, you can like mm -hmm. just cut this part out and then just like, we'll just go in with like the goodbye section. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sounds good. So three, two, one. There you have it, guys. Our interview with John of Surge, man. That was awesome. Yeah, Getting some new perspectives. Kind of went into like a collector's like den there of like yeah. 80s retro nostalgia. It was dripping in neon, I would it, say, in the it, best way possible. It was. It was saturated in neon. So, Andrew, I know like Synthwave is something that I expose you to a lot, but I think the <laughs> listeners want to know if seeing all those cool memorabilia and getting to pick John's brain for the better part of an hour is going to, you know maybe make you add a few songs to a spotify playlist that are of uh, well, an older touch well i mean i'm all about 
you know music with an aesthetic and like the the story behind it so you know him doing them all with movies and things like that i'm definitely gonna like you know he had a lot of albums so i didn't have time to listen to everything but i'm definitely gonna go back and look at more of that stuff and then i'm sure that um that'll get my spotify algorithm going to show me some more movie kind of synth wave which might be might be kind of cool yeah you know how those damn algorithms work once they get once they you know sick their teeth into you they don't let go that's true. My YouTube one is feeding me a lot of guinea pig content, and I'm not upset about it. Guinea pigs? Okay. We'll have to unpack that in a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that enough. being said, guys, this was yet another episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. We are now 747 on the year. What What's up? up? What Seven's up? my favorite number. Yeah. 56 episodes, we promised, and 56 episodes we will deliver. Having a blast, man. Finally being back in a groove, finally committing to things, and, and the audience seems to really be enjoying it as well. You know, everyone's yeah. kind of seems to be flocking to the YouTube lately. We've had two of our biggest videos yet. YouTube.com slash Talking with Andrew and Chris. Instagram, always you guys are good to us there. At Talking Podcast. Talking spelled T-A-L-K-I-N. It's 90 freaking places all over the screen right now. But if you're listening on audio, I'll spell it again one more time for you. That's talking spelled T-A-L-K-I-N. We post a few times a week. We give you content definitely once a week, if not sometimes more. Andrew, is there anything else you want to let the listeners know before we head out of here tonight? Um, well, if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube, please go subscribe to our YouTube. Um, we prefer you to watch on YouTube because, you know, look at us. I wash my I wash my hair for this show, so you know, make it worth it. Um, but if you're listening, you're on the go. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna say no. Thank you very much. Uh, we're on all the digital streaming platforms, you know. And while you're there, check out Talking TV because Chris has another great show that he does that I'm on sometimes. So stop follow it. that everywhere. You keep telling me, but I will never stop. Same bit every week. Sorry, guys. It's just who we are. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We're creatures of habit, which is why we're sticking with this episode a week, like we said. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next week. And uh, until then, I don't know, Andrew. I, I forget what we say. What do we say? I, I knew. I just want you to say it. I like when you say it. Um, go check out something from the 80s, you know, and culture yourself, but also stay sweet. <laughs> All right, guys, there you have it. Yet another episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. And we just want to take a moment here to thank you guys so much for all the support you've shown this show. I mean, I'm sure you guys know, but this show is 100% creator-owned and creator-run, and quite literally, we couldn't do it without you. I mean, the fact that you guys keep coming back week in and week out is not only humbling, but it's inspiring, and, and it's a reason why we will continue to deliver upon our promise to bring you content every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so, all we ask for you guys to do in support of this show, for free, mind you, is please head over to youtube.com slash talking with Andrew and Chris. Please click that subscribe button. For whatever video you choose to listen to, click that thumbs up. It would really help out us grow the channel. And, most importantly, turn on that bell to get notified every time we post content. Again, that's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on YouTube at 2 p.m. And of course, on audio. You guys can find us on Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. That is Talking with Andrew and Chris. 
And all we ask you to do on those platforms is please click the follow button, the subscribe button, leave a review, preferably five stars, whatever the platform allows you to do. If you could throw us a little support, that would really mean the world and help us keep growing this show. Once again, guys, we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for the support. Stay sweet, and we'll see you in the next episode.